welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Frances Harry, your hostess. Today we're going to talk about Therese, Therese of Lisieux and her thoughts on the Blessed Virgin Mary. In fact, I entitled this talk, Little Child of Our Mother Mary. This comes from a presentation that I had given to my own community in Dayton, Ohio, and I'm just happy um, beyond belief to, to share this with you as it has brought me many consolations and insights, and I hope it will for you as well. So let us start first though with a prayer. Let's get recollected and sign ourselves in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come by way of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Draw us into the depths of the most sacred heart of Jesus. St. Therese of the Child Jesus and the Holy Face, pray for us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I think most Carmelites and um, people who are have been introduced to St. Therese, the little flower, are convinced that she had a very devout family that had um, great devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. They would make flower wreaths for her, do May crownings, pray the rosary. Um, every night they would gather in front of a statue of the Blessed Mother for family prayer. You know, that is something I wonder how many of us do that with our families. Um, it would be wonderful if everybody had a statue of the Blessed Mother to gather at. This statue that was in their home looked like um, the main part of what you might find on the miraculous medal. So it's Our Lady with a crown of 12 stars and um, with her foot stomping on the serpent. It was a miraculous statue as... Um, Zaley, Therese's mother, had once been praying for her daughter that had died, concerned um, whether that she would make, to, make it to heaven, and she heard the Blessed Mother say to her, she's here with me in heaven. And so uh, Zaley was um, so confident that Our, Our Lady, through this statue, um, was hearing their prayers, was answering their prayers, and it, so the whole family had a great devotion to Mary coming together at this statue. They also named each of their children Mary. Um, so Maria, or Mary, was actually the first name for each of their children. And each child was consecrated to Mary before this same statue. Now this statue later becomes known as Our Lady of the Smile because it's the statue where Therese um, received a smile from the Blessed Mother, which we'll go into in just a bit. So there's so many facets of Therese's love for Mary that we could go into. But for now, um, in, we're just going to focus on four special themes. One, the ordinary simple Mary. Two, the healing mother of the child of Mary. Three, being under the mantle or veil of Mary. And four, Mary's maternal love, more mother than queen. So let us start first with the theme of 
the ordinariness, the simplicity of Mary. For St. Therese, it was more important for souls to imitate Mary rather than admire her. Therese was radically outspoken regarding exaggerated sermons and books on the Blessed Mother that made it seem like she had continuous ecstasies and miracles and in, in fact made her so exalted that she seemed unapproachable. Therese much preferred an ordinary Mary, a Mary that walked in pure faith and persevered through all darkness and trials just like an ordinary person. It's not that she's taken anything away from the Blessed Mother, but Therese preferred to look through the lens of how Mary could be imitated by everyone, that she's simple, small, and poor, and close to all of us, all of which end up being components of Therese's little way. You see, Therese wanted to be nourished on the truth and to see things as they really are. Those are words that she used. All that interests Therese is Mary's real life, not her imagined life. And we will get to the root of where the foundation for that thought may have occurred. In other words, where it, it really hit home. Therese wanted to hear sermons on Mary only if they could give proofs of her real life from the Gospels. A life lived by faith, just like ourselves. She said, the Gospels are enough for me. Basically, her method was, and this is what she said, the Gospels teach me, and my heart reveals to me. She goes to the Gospels to find facts and events. What did Mary do? And what did she teach? what Mary did and taught. In another place, thinking about what she would say if she gave a talk on Mary, Therese wrote this. First, I should have shown how little is known of the life of the Blessed Virgin. It is not well to say things about her that are unlikely or that we do not know for certain. For example, that it was with feelings of extraordinary fervor and on fire with love that at the age of three she went to the temple to offer herself to God. Perhaps she went quite simply in obedience to her parents. Again, regarding the prophetic words of the old man Simeon, why insist that the Blessed Virgin from that moment had constantly before her eyes the passion of Jesus? Thy own soul a sword shall pierce. You see very well that it was a prediction of what was to come later on. For a sermon on the Blessed Virgin to bear fruit, it must manifest her real life, such as the gospel has set it before us, and not her apocryphal life. We can well understand that her real life at Nazareth and the subsequent years must have been quite ordinary. He was subject to them. How simple that is. Instead of showing the Blessed Virgin as all but inaccessible, we should hold her up as possible of imitation while practicing the hidden virtues and living by faith, just like us. In addition, Therese would also say, Of Mary, there is never enough. 
In a letter to her cousin Marie, she wrote, Have no fear of loving the Blessed Virgin too much. You will never love her enough, and Jesus will be very pleased, since the Blessed Virgin is his mother. That's in letter number 92. Mother Agnes was Therese's blood sister, but also a nun in Carmel. She wrote about Therese and what Therese had said. She was telling me that all that she had heard preached on the Blessed Virgin hadn't touched her. Let the priest then show us practicable, practicable virtues. It's good to speak of her privileges, but it's necessary above all that we can imitate her. She prefers imitation to admiration, and her life was so simple. However good a sermon is on the Blessed Virgin, if we are obliged all the time to say, Ah, ah, we grow tired. How I like singing to her, The narrow road to heaven you have made visible, she said easy, when practicing always the most humble virtues. That was from letter 166. Now we go on to the theme of the healing mother of the child of Mary. Did you know that Therese's first written prayer when she was only 11 years old was to Mary? Yes, it was to the Blessed Mother. And it's to her that she turned very simply writing this prayer. Oh, my good Blessed Virgin, grant that your little Therese may stop tormenting herself. Wow, what was tormenting Therese? Well, let us recall that by the time she was 10 years old, Therese had suffered much separation anxiety. She left her mother to go to a wet nurse, then left the wet nurse to go back to her mother, then the death of her mother when she's only four years old, and then Therese's second mother, her sister Pauline, she leaves home to enter the Carmelite convent when Therese was only nine years old. Well, that was the tipping point. Therese felt the shock so severely that she developed a mysterious illness that actually brought her close to death. She had hallucinations, was shaking, was delirious, had extreme fatigue, said nonsensical things. Therese's father requested that a novena of masses be prayed in Paris for her at the Church of Our Lady of Victories in hopes that she would cure his poor little girl. And all the family members prayed intensely. Well, it was on Pentecost Sunday, May 13th, when the cure of Therese occurred. And this is what Therese wrote about it. Finding no help on earth, poor little Therese had also turned toward the Mother of Heaven. And she's looking at a statue of Our Lady of the Small, the statue that became known as Our Lady of the Small. And she prayed with all her heart that she take pity on her. All of a sudden, the Blessed Virgin appeared beautiful to me, so beautiful that never had I seen anything so attractive. Her face was suffused with an ineffable benevolence and tenderness, but what penetrated to the very depth of my soul 
was the ravishing smile of the Blessed Virgin. At that instant, all my pain disappeared, and two large tears glistened on my eyelashes and flowed down my cheeks silently. But they were tears of unmixed joy. Ah, I thought the Blessed Virgin smiled at me. How happy I am! But never will I tell anyone, for my happiness would then disappear. Well, her sister Marie, who was sitting there when all this happened and saw Therese, she had guessed that Therese had received a special hidden grace from the Virgin when she saw Therese gazing at the Virgin. And so she asked Therese about it. So then Therese revealed it to her. Well, then the word got out to the Carmelite convent about what happened. And, of course, when Therese would visit the convent, all the nuns, they, they wanted to ask her lots of questions. Was the Virgin carrying the child Jesus? Was there much light? What did they have on? All these questions troubled Therese and caused her much pain, pain that she suffered for the next four years until another Marian Grace came at age 14 on the pilgrimage to Paris, visiting Our Lady of Victory Shrine. That was the pilgrimage she later uh, visited the Pope. Well, Therese started wondering if she lied about the smile. This was the pain. She wondered, was she really sick, or did she just put on a show? So this is what was tormenting Therese, the thought that maybe she had lied or imagined everything about the miraculous smile of Mary that resulted in her cure. All these questions made her start to doubt. Well, this is the moment I believe Therese becomes repulsed by any sign of falsehood, faked or imagined ideas. She sought only the truth. And here we see a firm foundation laid for truth, and it plays out for the rest of her life. This search for only the truth led to Therese's focus on the simple, ordinary life of the Blessed Mother, one that we could imitate. On May 8, 1884, at the age of 10, when Therese made her first communion, in that first meeting or as she expresses it, fusion with Jesus. It was her heavenly mother again, in the absence of her earthly mother, who accompanied her to the altar. And Therese said, For it was she herself who on that morning of the 8th of May placed her Jesus into my soul. In the afternoon of that happy day, she consecrated herself she said, with all the affection of my heart to the Blessed Mother of God. She goes on to say, it was only right that I speak in the name of my companions to my mother in heaven. I, who had been deprived at such an early age of my earthly mother, I put all my heart into speaking to her into consecrating myself to her as a child, throwing itself into the arms of its mother, asking her to watch over her. It seems to me the Blessed Virgin must have looked upon her little flower and smiled at her. 
for wasn't it she who cured her with a visible smile? Had she not placed in the heart of her little flower her Jesus, the flower of the fields and the lily of the valley? So it's like she got a double portion again, another smile. Therese wished to dedicate herself to Mary in another special way. She says, I resolve, therefore, to consecrate myself in a particular way to the Most Holy Virgin, begging for admission among the daughters of Mary. And so on May 31, 1887, she was enrolled in the Association of the Daughters of Mary at the convent of the Benedictine Abbey of Lisieux, among whom were admitted only those students who were distinguished for their piety and good example. Therese wrote that the same year in which I was received as a daughter of the Blessed Virgin, she took away from me my beloved sister Marie, the only solace of my soul. As soon as I heard of her decision to leave, I resolved never again to take any pleasure in things here below. So she had a real lesson in detachment there. And since she wasn't going to focus on things here below, she focuses all the more on Jesus and Mary. At age 14, Therese went on the famous pilgrimage to Paris and then to Rome, where um, she would ask the Pope for permission to enter Carmel when she turned 15. And it was before the statue of Our Lady of Victories in Paris that she received another great Marian grace. Here's what Therese wrote about it. And this was actually confirmation of the cure by the small of Our Lady from earlier. Therese wrote, Ah, what I felt kneeling at her feet cannot be expressed. The graces she granted me so moved me that my happiness found expression only in tears, just as on the day of my first communion. The Blessed Virgin made me feel it was really herself who smiled on me and brought about my cure. I understood she was watching over me, that I was her child. I could no longer give her any other name but Mama, as this appeared ever so much more tender than Mother. How fervently I begged her to protect me always, to bring to fruition as quickly as possible my dream of hiding beneath the shadow of her virginal mantle. This was one of my first desires as a child. Now we go to the third theme, that of being under the veil of Mary, our mother. So I had just uh, quoted Therese saying she, her dream of hiding beneath the shadow of her virginal mantle. So we're going to explore that theme. For Therese... Hiding under the mantle of Mary brought her more deeply into intimacy with Jesus in the simplicity of daily life. In fact, there was a holy card that Therese had. It's an unusual one. It has the Blessed Mother sitting down, and on her lap are two infants, one slightly older than the other. And the older one also um, leans over the littlest one. And I just bet Therese imagined herself sitting on the lap of Mary, being the littlest one there, and that maybe the other infant was Jesus, 
so that both the Blessed Mother and Jesus were overshadowing her. And you can see the veil of Mary around the edges coming around the infants. It's a beautiful holy card. In one of her first poems, called My Song for Today, Therese wrote this, O Immaculate Virgin, you are my sweet star, giving Jesus to me and uniting me to him. O Mother, let me rest under your veil just for today. Then Therese, in another poem that she wrote to Celine, called The Queen of Heaven to Her Beloved Child, has Mary speaking, and in it she writes, I will hide you under the veil where the king of heaven takes refuge, but to shelter you always under my veil beside Jesus, you must stay little. So again, think of that holy card. So Mother Mary gives us to Jesus, and Jesus gives us to Mary. Mary's always relative to Jesus, pointing to Jesus, drawing us to Jesus. She never keeps her children to herself. Therese learned to live on love close to Mary, which brought her to her definition of love, which can be found in her poem, Why I Love You, O Mary. She says, To love is to give everything. It's to give oneself. So let me say that again, what her definition of love is. To love is to give everything. It's to give oneself. In Therese's act of oblation to merciful love, that famous prayer, Therese offered herself totally as a victim of Holocaust to the fire of God's merciful love and abandoned her offering to Mary, begging her to present it to God for her. Now we turn to the fourth theme, the theme of Mary's maternal love, more mother than queen. In a letter to her sister Celine, Therese wrote, Sometimes I find myself saying to the Holy Virgin, Do you know, O cherished mother, that I think myself more fortunate than you? I have you for mother, and you have not, like me, the Blessed Virgin to love. You are, it is true, the mother of Jesus, but you have given him to me, and he, from the, gro from the cross, gave you to us as our mother, so we are richer than you. Of old, it was your desire that you might be the little handmaiden of the mother of God. And I, poor little creature, I am not your servant, but your child. You are the mother of Jesus, and you are my mother. So this sheds light on the last words that St. Therese ever wrote down, which also happened to be to the Blessed Mother. She wrote, O oh Mary, if I were queen of heaven and you were Therese, I would want to be Therese so that you might be queen of heaven. Those were her last words written down, written on September 8, 18, 
97, the Blessed Mother's birthday, on the seventh anniversary of her profession when she was gravely ill. She basically just scribbled these words. Therese's last words written on earth were written on the back of an image of Our Lady of Victories to which she had pinned a little white flower. And that's the little white flower that her father gave her when he gave her permission to enter Carmel, May 29, 1887. Therese tells souls how easy it is to approach Mary as mother with her maternal love rather than under the exalted title Queen of Heaven. Therese writes, We know very well that the Blessed Virgin is Queen of Heaven and Earth, but she is more mother than queen, and we should not say, on account of her prerogatives, that she surpasses all the saints in glory, just as the sun as at its rising makes the stars disappear from sight. My God, how strange that would be, a mother who makes her children's glory vanish? I myself think just the opposite. I believe she'll increase the splendor of the elect very much. It's good to speak about her prerogatives, but we should not stop at this. And if, in a sermon, we are obliged from beginning to end to exclaim and say, Ah, ah, we would grow tired. Who knows whether some soul would not reach the point of feeling a certain estrangement from a creature so superior and would not say, If things are such, it's better to go and shine as well as one is able in some little corner. What the Blessed Virgin has, more than we have, is the privilege of not being able to sin. She was exempt from the stain of original sin. But on the other hand... She wasn't as fortunate as we are since she didn't have a blessed virgin to love. And this is one more sweetness for us and one less sweetness for her. Isn't that interesting that Therese would write that? You know, Therese takes this motherhood very personally. Therese is the child of Mary, but also... Mother with Mary, sharing in her maternal intimacy with the child that Mary carried. In her poem, Why I Love You, O Mary, she writes, O beloved mother, despite my littleness, like you, I possess the all-powerful within me, but I don't tremble in seeing my weakness. The treasures of a mother belong to her child, And I am your child, O dearest mother. Aren't your virtues and your love mine too? So when the white host comes into my heart, Jesus, your sweet lamb, thinks he is resting in you. Now isn't that an attitude of heart that we could take and how we could prepare to receive Jesus in the Eucharist? You know, Therese asked to be like Mary. And we see Therese even asking Jesus in her famous prayer, the act of oblation to merciful love. She says, speaking to Jesus, so she wants to be intimate 
familiar. She says, remain in me as in the tabernacle and never separate yourself from your little victim. And Jesus, be yourself my sanctity. And I think Therese has the audacity, the boldness, the holy boldness to ask that of Jesus because she's a child of Mary, because she's imitating Mary, and because the treasures of Mary are also hers because she is a child of Mary. So we've covered four themes. The ordinary simple Mary, the healing mother of the child of Mary, and being under the veil of Mary, our mother, and then Mary's maternal love, more mother than queen. Therese's ardent wish was to live during this sad exile in the company of Mary, submerged in loving ecstasy in the depths of her maternal heart, that she should pass the day of life hidden with Jesus under the mantle of Mary, declaring that there alone she finds the prelude of paradise. When in trial or difficulty she had recourse to Mary, whose glance alone is enough to dissipate every fear. So now I'd like to turn to the poem that Therese wrote, Why I Love You, O Mary. This is a translation that Father Donald Kinney, um, Discalced Carmelite Friar, wrote. Um, it is in a book called The Poetry of St. Therese of Lisieux um, by ICS Publications. And it is in this poem, which is very long, where Therese really summarizes all of her thoughts on Mary. So I, I'm just going to you know, issue a spiritual challenge now to, to take a copy of this poem, get, obtain a copy of this poem, and ponder it in your prayer. Take it slowly. See what Therese is teaching us so that we can approach the Blessed Mother, so that we can imitate the Blessed Mother, so that we can love Jesus like Mary loved Jesus, and that we may be a mother to Jesus and our brothers and sisters just as Mary is to us. So here is the poem. Oh, I would like to sing, Mary, why I love you, why your sweet name thrills my heart, and why the thought of your supreme greatness could not bring fear to my soul. If I gazed upon you in your sublime glory, surpassing the splendor of all the blessed, I could not believe that I am your child. Oh, Mary, before you, I would lower my eyes. If a child is to cherish his mother, she has to cry with him and share his sorrows. Oh, my dearest mother, on this foreign shore, how many tears you shed to draw me to you. In pondering your life in the Holy Gospels, I dare look at you and come near you. It's not difficult for me to believe I'm your child, for I see you human and suffering like me. When an angel from heaven bids you be the mother of the God who is to reign for all eternity, I see you prefer, O oh Mary, what a mystery, 
the ineffable treasure of virginity. O Immaculate Virgin, I understand how your soul is dearer to the Lord than his heavenly dwelling. I understand how your soul, humble and sweet valley, can contain Jesus, the ocean of love. Oh, I love you, Mary, saying you are the servant of the God whom you charm by your humility. This hidden virtue makes you all-powerful. It attracts the Holy Trinity into your heart. Then the spirit of love, covering you with his shadow, the Son equal to the Father, became incarnate in you. There will be a great many of his sinner brothers, since he will be called Jesus, your firstborn. O beloved mother, despite my littleness, like you, I possess the all-powerful within me. But I don't tremble in seeing my weakness. The treasures of a mother belong to her child, and I am your child, O oh my dearest mother. Aren't your virtues and your love mine too? So, when the white host comes into my heart, Jesus, your sweet lamb, thinks he is resting in you. You make me feel that it's not impossible to follow in your footsteps, O queen of the elect. You made visible, easy, the narrow road to heaven, while always practicing the humblest virtues. Near you, Mary, I like to stay little. I see the vanity of greatness here below. At the home of St. Elizabeth, receiving your visit, I learn how to practice ardent charity. There, sweet queen of angels, I listen, delighted, to the sacred canticle springing forth from your heart. You teach me to sing divine praises, to glory in Jesus my Savior. Your words of love are mystical roses destined to perfume the centuries to come. In you the Almighty has done great things. I want to ponder them, to bless him for them. When good St. Joseph did not know of the miracle that you wanted to hide in your humility, you let him cry close by the tabernacle, veiling the Savior's divine beauty. Oh, Mary, how I love your eloquent silence. For me, it is a sweet, melodious concert that speaks to me of the greatness and power of a soul which looks only to heaven for help. Later in Bethlehem, O oh Joseph and Mary, I see you rejected by all the villagers. No one wants to take in poor foreigners. There's room for the great ones. There's room for the great ones, and it's in a stable that the queen of heaven must give birth to a god. Oh, my dearest mother, how lovable I find you. How great I find you in such a poor place. 
When I see the eternal God wrapped in swaddling clothes, when I hear the poor cry of the divine word, oh, my dearest mother, I no longer envy the angels, for their powerful Lord is my dearest brother. How I love you, Mary, you who made this divine flower blossom on our shores. How I love you listening to the shepherds and wise men and keeping it all in your heart with care. I love you mingling with the other women walking toward the holy temple. I love you presenting the Savior of our souls to the blessed old man who pressed him to his heart. At first, I smile as I listen to his canticle, but soon his tone makes me shed tears. Plunging a prophetic glance into the future, Simeon presents you with a sword of sorrows. O queen of martyrs, to the evening of life, that sorrowful sword will pierce your heart. Already you must leave your native land to flee a king's jealous fury. Jesus sleeps in peace under the folds of your veil. Joseph comes begging you to leave at once, and at once your obedience is revealed. You leave without delay or reasoning. Oh, Mary, it seems to me that in the land of Egypt, your heart remains joyful in poverty. For is not Jesus the fairest homeland? What does exile matter to you? You hold heaven. But in Jerusalem, a bitter sadness comes to flood your heart like a vast ocean. For three days, Jesus hides from your tenderness. That is indeed exile, in all its harshness. At last you find him, and you are overcome with joy. You say to the fair child, captivating the doctors, Oh, my son, why have you done this? Your father and I have been searching for you in tears. And the child God replies, Oh, what a deep mystery to his dearest mother holding out her arms to him. Why were you searching for me? I must be about my father's business. Didn't you know? The gospel tells me that, growing in wisdom, Jesus remains subject to Joseph and Mary, and my heart reveals to me with what tenderness he always obeys his dear parents. Now I understand the mystery of the temple, the hidden words of my lovable king. Mother, your sweet child wants you to be the example of the soul searching for him in the night of faith. Since the king of heaven wanted his mother to be plunged into the night in anguish of heart, Mary is it thus a blessing to suffer on earth? Yes, to suffer while loving is the purest happiness. All that he has given me, Jesus can take back. Tell him not to bother with me. 
He can indeed hide from me. I'm willing to wait for him till the day without sunset when my faith will fade away. Mother, full of grace, I know that in Nazareth you live in poverty, wanting nothing more. No rapture, miracle, or ecstasy embellish your life, O queen of the elect. The number of little ones on earth is truly great. They can raise their eyes to you without trembling. It's by the ordinary way, incomparable mother, that you like to walk to guide them to heaven. While waiting for heaven, O oh my dear mother, I want to live with you, to follow you each day. Mother, contemplating you, I joyfully immerse myself, discovering in your heart abysses of love. Your motherly gaze banishes all my fears. It teaches me to cry. It teaches me to rejoice. Instead of scorning pure and simple joys, you want to share in them. You deign to bless them. At Cana, seeing the married couple's anxiety, which they cannot hide, for they have run out of wine, in your concern, you tell the Savior, hoping for the help of his divine power. Jesus seems, at first, to reject your prayer. Woman, what does this matter? He answers, to you and to me. But in the depths of his heart, he calls you his mother, and he works his first miracle for you. One day... When sinners are listening to the doctrine of him who would like to welcome them in heaven, Mary, I find you with them on the hill. Someone says to Jesus that you wish to see him. Then before the whole multitude, your divine son shows us the immensity of his love for us. He says, Who is my brother and my sister and my mother, if not the one who does my will. O oh, Immaculate Virgin, most tender of mothers, in listening to Jesus, you are not saddened, but you rejoice that he makes us understand how our souls become his family here below. Yes, you rejoice that he gives us his life, the infinite treasures of his divinity, how can we not love you, O oh my dear mother, on seeing so much love and so much humility? You love us, Mary, as Jesus loves us, and for us you accept being separated from him. To love is to give everything. It's to give oneself. You wanted to prove this by remaining our support. The Savior knew your immense tenderness. He knew the secrets of your maternal heart. Refuge of sinners, he leaves us to you when he leaves the cross to wait for us in heaven. Mary, at the top of Calvary, standing beside the cross, to me, you seem like a priest at the altar. 
offering your beloved Jesus, the sweet Emmanuel, to appease the Father's justice. A prophet said, O afflicted mother, there is no sorrow like your sorrow. O queen of martyrs, while remaining exile, you lavish on us all the blood of your heart. St. John's home becomes your only refuge. Zebedee's son is to replace Jesus. This is the last detail the gospel gives. It tells me nothing more of the queen of heaven. But, oh my dear mother, doesn't its profound silence reveal that the eternal word himself wants to sing the secrets of your life to charm your children, all the elect of heaven. Soon I'll hear that sweet harmony. Soon I'll go to beautiful heaven to see you, you who came to smile at me in the morning of my life. Come, smile at me again, mother. It's evening now. I no longer fear the splendor of your supreme glory. With you, I've suffered. And now I want to sing on your lap, Mary, why I love you, and to go on saying that I am your child. And that is the end of the poem that Therese wrote, Why I Love You, O Mary. So I thank you for joining me, and I ask that St. Therese intercede with us to be more intimate with our mother, Mary. So let us close with this beautiful prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Therese, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.